cabeza y empezamos como es. Mi música no discrimina a nadie, así que va. Just doing some little technical things to make sure everything is working correctly. And uh, we're just about ready to get started. Sometimes here I uh, um, don't always do the right thing. So uh, making sure that we are uh, online and in tune to give you the best show possible. And one of the cool things that I've learned this week that I thought while we're uh, getting this all set up is uh, did you know that if you took your age and you added it to your, the year of your birth, it would come out to 2018? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, uh, I tried it with myself. I'm uh, 45, and I added it to 1973, and it comes out to 2018. And I think that happens for every single one of you. So go ahead and try it at home and, try, and see if it works for you as well. Uh, that means that we're all 2018 this year. I think it's one of those really unique uh, occurrences that doesn't happen very often. So... Anyway, check that out. Uh, try it for yourselves and, um, you know, see what happens. Today we're going to talk, um, we're going to talk about depression and we're going to talk about uh, the biology of belief. Now, we're going to start off with depression. Depression is something that uh, I dealt with for a long time, uh, many, many years. It's, uh, it's not a lot of fun. You feel like... Uh, you could be in a room full of people and you feel absolutely, completely alone. I mean, you just can't connect. There's this sense, there, there's this pervasive, haunting sense that you just can't seem to break out of, you know, whatever that feeling is. You just can't make any connections. You're being dragged along by the weight of all this, this, this deep pain on the inside and you get, it just doesn't seem possible to be, break free from it and get past it. And so very often uh, people can be, uh, you know, crippled by it. I certainly was. And it's not a lot of fun. It's a real thing. About 40% of Americans suffer from clinical depression. And it's something that we all have to acknowledge, that it is uh, a dis-ease. It is a dis-ease of the, of the mind, of the body, and of the soul. And being able to find how can we get through our depression uh, so that it doesn't handicap us and so it doesn't become something that imprisons us and or gives us a sense that our lives are completely hopeless and we end up taking the, taking the option of suicide, you know. And suicide is on the rise in this country, and it's, big, it's a big deal. 
And people are looking for something that gives them some kind of meaning in their life, something that will allow them to experience the fullness of their life. And depression doesn't allow you to experience the fullness of your life. You just can't see straight. You can't even uh, – it's like you have a cloud hanging over you all the time. And so it's one of the most common experiences for someone who's ever experienced any kind of trauma or any kind of grief. You know, one of the major stages, one of the, uh, this is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when you go through any kind of mourning, which is an important part of uh, the grieving process and is necessary as, for instance, if we lose somebody in our lives uh, to death or, or something else, uh, or a broken relationship or, or, you know, a lost family member, uh, we have to go through a grieving process. And a lot of times we don't allow ourselves. We, we just don't allow ourselves to, to, to truly feel what we feel on the inside. And there's different stages of grief. There's a stage of uh, denial. You know, this, this can't be happening. This, this, how could this happen? You're in shock about things. And then there's this period of anger where you're raging and you're upset and you're, you're, you know, things are, 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 are unsettled on the inside. And after that, you go into a place of bargaining. You're going to bargain with God. You're going to bargain with yourself. You'll bargain with uh, another person. And then after that comes depression. And that's just a part of that normal cycle that goes. And that can last a long time uh, when you're going through a grieving stage. Uh, you know, if you've been with a partner or had been with a partner for 40 years or 50 years and they're no longer there, uh, that there's a, there's a, you're, you're, a part of you has been lost. A part of you is no longer there with you. And so you're, you, your whole system becomes depressed. And it can be very difficult to climb out of that. At this other end of that is acceptance, and that's acceptance of reality. It's not approval of reality. It's acceptance of reality, and there's a big difference. It's a radical acceptance of the way things are, not trying to change anything, not trying to want it to be anything different, but really accepting that this is what is, and if I can learn how to accept right now in the present moment my life where it stands, then I can start making better choices in the future that will help me to get out of this place and start building a better life for myself. But a lot of times when people are depressed, they can't make the right choices because things are, it's just, you have this, uh, this, this meeting with this, this sense of, of, of complete despair that you can't let go of. It doesn't matter what you do, it seems like. And it's something, depression is something that we've all experienced in our lives. Uh, it's very, very common. And it can even be traced back to biblical times. You know, um, David uh, suffered from uh, major depression. If you read some of the uh, uh, some of the Psalms uh, that he wrote, uh, and so these are things that we were written about thousands of years ago. And depression has been as common as man has been on the earth. Now, in the energy field of depression, we view ourselves and the world as sad and hopeless. It's a place of sin and immeasurable, unending suffering. And we, we just can't see any good in the world. All we see is bad. And our view of God or source or the creator is someone who doesn't love us, doesn't give a, darn, doesn't give a damn about us, who ignores us, and who has no feeling for us, is uncaring, and who, who, feels separated from, who we feel separated from and abandoned by. Right? This is another example from the Bible would be Job, you know, where he's uh, on the dung heap of life, his life, and wondering why did this happen to him. 
Now, essentially, at its core, we feel separated from life. And the most common feelings associated with depression are self-blame, self-loathing, guilt, shame, and a deep sense of uh, worthlessness. And in addition, a sufferer of depression feels powerless to do anything about his condition or affect positive changes in the world he lives or she lives that might change his or her perspective. He or she feels totally hopeless and despairs that his or her life and life in general has no purpose and has no meaning. When you lose your purpose and meaning in life, you are, you, you, you are, you are on the edge. And that's where it becomes that deep pain on the inside that it's absolutely pointless. It's an existential crisis. And you're teetering on the edge of the abyss. You're staring out into the void. And there are, are usually a lot of me, uh, excuse me, there are usually many regrets about the past. And, these are, and then there are paralyzing fears about the future. And attached to both of these feelings are these feelings of guilt and anger. Depression can be described as anger turned inward. And what happens is, is we project what gives us value and what gives us meaning as outside of ourselves. What we do is we place value and significance on other people, on our families, our jobs, our careers, our communities, our possessions, our uh, identities and, and all this becomes what we identify with and things which are transitory in nature. We give away our power to these outside things because we believe that they will give us love, recognition, respect, validation, and identity and the need and this imbues our life with meaning and purpose. This we believe will give us the connection we want. A depressed person though is not able to make this connection. When the outside sources of their happiness has failed them or been lost to the regrettable past, whether it's a person, a place, or a thing, the internal emptiness one feels can be so overwhelming, it's crippling. The sufferer can become so incredibly despondent where he or she is barely able to function. I mean, you're just... You, it seems like it just takes – you're molasses. You're walking through molasses all the time. You can hardly move. You have no energy. You're listless. And it, you're just – your whole life is in the dark. Even when the sun's shining outside, your, your life is in the dark. And your life force is completely drained. And you don't have any will to live. And that's when it gets to really dangerous. See, you don't feel like you have a future. Your future, you think. You think. You've convinced yourself that the future is gone. And what is lost can never be replaced or replicated. And therefore, it's gone forever. And this perceived lack and separation, this feeling of this total separation from life, can be so detrimental to the point where the person feels the only way that they can extricate his or herself from this excruciating pain is to commit suicide to feel separated from that which we want is to unconsciously feel separated from God, from source, from um, something deeper, something larger that we're all connected to. 
when we're totally when we feel totally separated from that, we are we are close to uh, to walking over the edge. Now, for much of my life, uh, a lot of my life, I was sad and depressed. And as a child, I was quiet, I was shy, I was gentle, <laughs> I was kind, and uh, I was kind of sad. Um, now, it doesn't mean I didn't have great times. I had a lot of great times when I was, especially in my early childhood and adolescence and early adulthood, I had a lot of great memories with my friends and family. Yeah, that doesn't dis, uh, dismiss my battle with depression and or negate in my battle with depression doesn't negate any of those times it, they were just the t and they were the times that I actually lived for and the times that I absolutely cherish today but as I grew older I began increasingly to feel more and more sad and more and more depressed more and more lonely and it never quite felt like I was measuring up in my mind to the people around me, that I was never quite enough, never quite good enough. Uh, and this just increased my feeling of low self-esteem and uh, not being able to participate as deeply and as fully as I wanted to. And I was always seeing others outside of myself as happier, being more content, um, and having a better life. And it's not like I wanted to be depressed. It's, it's, I don't think a de any depressed person really wants to be depressed. They want to feel happy. Depressed people know that they're depressed. We know we're depressed. And they know, we know that no one wants to be around someone who is depressed all the time. It's depressing. So when family members or someone else says something's, and take notice that something is wrong, and you try to pretend that nothing's wrong, which a lot of us do. We put on that face because you don't want to burden them with your feelings that about your life and your relationship to the world. And so you end up putting on a mask. And you put this mask on to everyone around you that the world is just fine. But on the inside, it, it's dark. And you feel everyone's pain around you. And a lot of empaths, a lot of people who are empathetic who can feel the people around them feel this kind of pain and, and suffer from depression. And you end up feeling all the pain around you, and then you take it on as your own because you don't want them to suffer, which depresses you even more. So it's something inside of you that you know that something is not right. Something is terribly wrong with the way that the world operates, with the way that you operate and how you operate. And you feel absolutely helpless to do anything about it. Depressed people literally have depressed cells. Happy people have happy ones. And if you've been suffering from depression over a long period of time, this is the way your cells have been reprogrammed over many years. As your cells die out, as uh, you know, if you don't know this, about a billion, billions of your cells are dying out right now. Uh, and billions are being replicated uh, as we speak. It's just the natural part of the way the body reproduces itself. Every seven years, you have a completely new body, which is crazy. It's amazing. But if you're, and if you're constantly depressed and you're, the cellular structure is being made to be replicate that sense of depression because depressed people have depressed cells. Happy people have happy cells. And the reason why we are depressed is because we have placed the source of our happiness as being outside of ourselves. 
So there's this internal emptiness on the inside that's so deep and so pervasive that nothing seems to satisfy this perceived lack. You can't see the beauty. You can see the beauty on the outside, but not on the inside. You can't see your own beauty. You don't feel connected to it. And there's this intolerable feeling that we have built up a veil of morality on an amoral world. Nothing is as it should be. There's just violence, there's lies, there's deception, there's betrayal, there's deceit, there's abandonment, there's death, there's de and destruction. Death and destruction rule this realm. And all we can do is to stand up to it as best we can. And for some of us, this is just too much to bear. And we medicate ourselves. We medicate ourselves or consider suicide as the only option to free ourselves from this pain, from this suffering. And I'm sharing with you some of the things that I experienced because of my PTSD and depression and trauma, the things that I experienced. I almost suicided. All right? I was in so much pain. The hole that I felt on the inside of me was so deep when I experienced one of the most profound traumas in my life that uh, where my soul should have been, there was this big gaping hole. And it was the most excruciating, unendurable pain that I'd ever experienced in my life. And it followed me wherever I went, and I couldn't escape from it. And it was just, oh, unbearable. And I, the deepest, darkest moments, I just want to end it all. The life is just too painful. Made too many mistakes. Made too many errors. Um, hurt, got hurt too bad. Uh, and, uh, and just the, 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 whole, the, the memories and all that stuff that was happening. Uh, but I didn't take that route. But I've been there. And so I understand it. And so others may have had a different experience with this, but the essence of it is, is the same. It's exactly the same. Now, beneath these disturbing thoughts and feelings that I was having about my life and the things that I was, had experienced and, the world, that I, and the, the world that I had come from and the pain and the loneliness and the hopelessness and despair that I carried about my life, uh, there's also, you know, an understanding of the historical and genetic transmission of trauma that gets passed down through the generations through our mothers and fathers. This is a real thing. Uh, there was a study done um, with the survivors of the Holocaust, and uh, those that had experienced the Holocaust were in such, they had experienced such immense trauma from being in the Nazi concentration camps that they looked at into the second and third generations to see what happened. It was actually as if they had taken on the pain of their parents and it was so many of the second generation of the kids of the, of the, of the survivors were suffering from PTSD. They were having the anger issues, the flashbacks, the, 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 the guilt and the shame that was attributed to it. So the, there's a genetic component and it actually changes some of the, uh, uh, the telomeres on the genes uh, as uh, those traumatic experiences are encoded onto the spermaline cells of the males who have experienced it so that their offspring can survive whatever traumas that they had experienced. And so it becomes something that gets passed down and traumas get passed down through the generations. It's not anybody's fault. 
it's something we have to finally acknowledge. The epigenetics um, that we'll speak about here in just a little bit proves that. And they're, they're, they're discovering more and more that this is the case. Now we're all innocent at birth, you know, and the world we brought into gives us the experiences that we have. Now whether whatever is not consciously contained in one generation gets passed down, which then necessarily and largely unconsciously plays itself out through the next generation. And see, I was completely unconscious of what the hell was going on on the inside of me and my inner world. And I just didn't know why I was depressed. I think it was this crisis that brought me face-to-face uh, -face with my inner world. And if I hadn't started looking into my inner world and started asking and digging deep and in in getting into those questions, I, I, I wouldn't be sitting here uh, talking to you on this show. And I didn't know why I felt the way I did. I didn't know why I couldn't seem to fit in. I didn't know why I felt so disconnected to all of life and the people around me. I didn't know why I couldn't connect to the, the women that I wanted to date. Or the, and, and I couldn't establish uh, healthy relationship bonds with people. And, and it just seemed like I was always distant. And I, I didn't know where this pain came from or why it came to me. Of course, I didn't show it. I didn't want anybody to know I was, or, you know, I'm sure the people closest to me, like my family understood, but, you know, I didn't want to let anybody know that I was severely depressed because I didn't want to seem like a weak or uh, unmanly guy, you know. Uh, as a matter of fact, I put on the opposite face. I put on the, the confident guy, the, uh, the happy guy, the fun party guy, the guy that you, you know, the guy you always want to hang out with kind of a thing. Uh, to cover up what was really going on. And by putting on that face, though, and bearing the pain I felt on the inside, um, only on the, made things exponentially worse. I didn't have the tools then or the resources at the time to face my depression and everything else that was in me that needed to be faced and healed. I postponed it. And so by postponing it, I made it worse it's because you add things onto life and then all of a sudden it cascades in a major crisis. And then you're having to deal with all the stuff that you hadn't dealt with um, sometimes for decades. Instead, how I coped with my depression and my traumas is by drowning out my sorrows, trying to feel good through alcohol and then later drugs. I want to conclude this segment of the show by, by trying to suggest to you and maybe to try to help you to shift your relationship to depression, that by suggesting that depression actually might be a friend. If looked at in the right way, perhaps this is nature's way. This is our biology's way. This is our psychology's way or God's way of pointing out to us that something is not right in the way we see our life. And now, after years of battling with depression and having come out the other side, that it is our psychological, biological, and spiritual way of putting on the brakes and addressing that within us that needs to be reexamined. It's as if our own soul is saying to us, just please, please look at me. Just look at this. Please, be, um, by, by your own understanding, have some compassion for me. Just love me. 
Heal me. Heal all of it. And that's what I think our depression is trying to reach out and trying to say to us. And when we address, when we address the fear underlying the depression, we give ourselves a, a chance finally to become free of it. It takes, and it's a moment by moment thing. It's not all of a sudden it's gone. It takes a moment by moment commitment to know that, you know, when that feeling of depression comes on, that, you know, it's just, it's a storm and you just got to be able to withstand with, get out of the, you know, just don't, don't stay in the storm. Let the storm pass that the light will come. You know, you just have to be able to have that and have some tools to be able to practice, which I'm going to give you here. Some of them that you can incorporate into your life right now. You got to have the courage to look at what is depressing you with the eyes of compassion and non-judgment. And having the intention to at least look at the subject as promising and hopeful changes our relationship to depression. We are no longer at the mercy of it. We know it is trying to teach us something. Everything is trying to teach you something, even depression. And it wants to come back to our... It, depression wants us to come back to ourselves and be the source of our own happiness, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. And if we can look at it and discover that there is a benefit in here for me, not only for this particular situation, but for the rest of my life, when I solve it, when I solve it and understand that I am the source of my happiness, I solve it for all time within myself. With this in mind, you empower yourself and you lift your energy up and you give yourself a chance to find the gold in the dark. And when you finally do that, when you finally find it, it's like a bird. <laughs> it's like a bird set free from the cage. And you will miraculously be free to be yourself again and rediscover yourself. Now, I didn't have the option to take any kind of medications um, to get myself out of the depression. I, for those of you who are listening to this and are taking medications, I, you know, and, and trust your doctor on those things. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. However, I, because of my particular circumstances, that was not available to me. So I had to find a way to get out of my depression without resorting to alcohol, drugs, or any kind of prescription medications. Um, anyway, this is, this is how I did it, and this is some of the suggestions I want to give to you. One, you've got to learn to be the source of your own happiness. You've got to be the source. Your own happiness comes from you, not anybody else. You've got to start there. Number two is you've got to fill yourself up with love by doing things you love that are not dependent on anyone else. You can't depend on anyone else to give you what you already have. You've got to find that within you. You've got to be able to love, to fill yourself up with your love first. Not it's not self-love, you know, that's kind of a selfish thing, but it's love in me first. And then, you, and then from that place you overflow and you, can, and you can share that with others by giving, which helps us to get out of our depression too. The little acts of giving that we can do every day takes us outside of ourselves, out of whatever is happening on inside of our minds, and we start sharing with others. We give to others. We humble up. We humble up and we share. And that helps us to get out because we start thinking of others um, and in their, their situation and circumstances. Uh, we've got to look at the worst case scenarios and face our fears. We've got to look at it. 
and be able to identify that, identify those emotions and give ourselves the tools that will help us to manage those crises as they come up. You've got to learn to be content with being by yourself. Right? You're going to be with you your entire life. Your whole life, you're going to be with you. You've got to be your best friend. You've got to be your best friend 24-7. You've got to want to be your best and most loving friend. You've got to surround yourself with people who will inspire and motivate you. You want to be with people who are going to see the best in you and want you to become the best, to fulfill your potential and get you to live out of yourself and into life. You want to stay active. You want to exercise regularly. All right? Any kind of exercise, movement, 20 minutes a day helps to release our natural endorphins in our body. Those are the natural opiates that we have that the body produces, the endorphins, the, the dopamine and, and other things that helps to make us feel good. And exercise helps to get some of that toxic energy and uh, toxicity of some of those negative emotions out of the body as well. Other thing to do is to spend time in nature. We have some of the most beautiful mountains in the world out here. Go in nature. Go outside. Get connected to the world around you. Another thing to do is to learn to do meditation and mindfulness. Right? Meditation and mindfulness is a cornerstone in healing any kind of trauma or depression because it brings you straight right now into the present moment. The past is gone. It's, it's not a here anymore. You know, it, it's not here. You can't package it. You can't say, I can't ask any of you to say, could you, could you bring your past? Could you put your past in your purse and show it to me? You can't. And then there's no, they can't do it. But it's, it's stuck in our minds and our memories. It rehashes that way. And we have to get fully present right now because the future is not here either. And so when we get fully present, we're able to start creating space in between the stimulus and response, space in between our thoughts, space in between some of our emotions and our feelings. And we learn to become, we learn how to re-regulate our emotions and our feelings. Another thing to do is to treat yourself the way you deserve to be treated. All right? You got to start doing that. It's got to start with you. If people have treated you badly, have, have hurt you in the past, you've got to regroup and start treating yourself the way you want to be treated. We say some of the most horrible things to ourselves uh, in the mirror that we would never, ever, ever, ever say to a best friend. But we say it to ourselves. And when you think about it, well, how can we, if that's what we're programming into ourselves and we're adding to our depression, we've got to change those thoughts. We've got to interrupt that pattern. We've got to snap out of it. All right, you got to start treating yourself the way you deserve to be treated. It makes you feel good, and that may be a little bit difficult to do at the beginning, but you got to do it. Learn to laugh a lot. Smile. Just even to practice smiling in the mirror if you have to. And just, you know, that alone, just laughing and smiling can lift up your energy, and it can pick your spirits up. Turn on a good movie. Watch something that makes you laugh. You know, be around children. Children have a way of lifting our spirits up. Have a life coach, a therapist, a trusted friend whom you can talk to whenever you're, when you feel down. All right? If you want to work with me, uh, please look me up on my website, you know, www.charliepacello.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-P, as in Peter, A-C-E-L-L-O.com. Uh, and, and email me. Uh, we'll set up a time. We'll get on. We'll start working together. We'll start we're getting to the place where you can start building the tools 
uh, in the programs that I've established that can help you to get out of where you're at so that you can live the best life ever. Uh, or a therapist or another coach, whoever it is that you can trust. You've got to find someone you know you can trust. These are people who've earned the right to hear your story. All right. They can, and when they've earned the right to hear your story, they can be the greatest resource for empathy, connection, and can help put things in perspective and offer you some um, self-enhancing solutions. I suggest enrolling in some kind of Tai Chi or karate or movement meditation class. Anything where you can get the movement because any kind of trauma or depression gets stuck in our bodies. And then the brain readapts itself to, uh, so that it no longer is, it, it, it won't, it doesn't process healthy feelings. It adapts to a very tragic condition where you brace yourself into a position that you don't want to feel these terrible feelings. So it locks it in. And then all of a sudden this becomes a normal pattern that the brain responds to any stimulus that comes in. So the, brain, the body gets locked up into this. It, becomes, it shows up as tension. It shows up as migraine headaches. It shows up as uh, fibromyalgia. It shows up as all kinds of chronic pain. So you want to be able to move this stuff out of your body. You have to treat the whole mind, body, uh, and brain connection. Okay, And you want to move this negative energy lodged in the body caused by the depression or trauma and release it through this active movement. You want to do uh, another one thing, wonderful thing is to do a yoga practice. Uh, yoga is, has a wonderful way of, of attuning ourselves to those deeper elements inside of us. And on one of these future shows, we're going to go deeper into how beneficial yoga can be. Get plenty of, of sleep. Sleep is so important. Get plenty of sleep to recharge your body and mind. Sleep, you know, for people who are suffering from trauma and depression and other anxiety issues, sleep can be very troublesome. And the insomnia, the incessant mind chatter that goes on when you try to learn to relax your body, try to get as much sleep as you can, aim to get at least six hours of sleep a day if possible so that you can recharge your body and mind. And start cultivating gratitude in your life. Cultivating gratitude. Having a gratitude journal. This is something I, I teach all of my students. That you write in a, you get a gratitude journal and you write every day five things that you're, and you do this for 30 days, write five things that you're grateful for. Five things. I'm grateful for my work. I'm grateful for my shoes. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my coat. I'm grateful for um, um, the air that I breathe. And you do five new ones in the next day. They have to be new. You can't cheat. Don't be a cheater. You do five new ones the next day. After you do five things that you're grateful for, you do three things that you're grateful for not. What do I mean by that? I'm grateful for not being in a dysfunctional relationship. I'm grateful for not being in a war zone. I'm grateful for not uh, having a terminal illness. I'm grateful for not uh, having cancer. I'm great. Understand what I'm saying? Find those things. Do that, and you'll start to achieve that. Feeling gratitude about things changes our relationship. We start to pay attention to the little details in life which make life so worth living. Pay attention to those little things. Find a way to be of service in your community, in your home, to your animals, to your children, wherever. Giving helps us to break out of ourselves and the, and the internal battle that we're experiencing. 
And another thing is to always learn something new. Always learn something new. Start. You want to be growing all the time. And by growing, you help to grow yourself out of that. You want to become larger than the experiences of depression that you've had. And another thing is to treat your body like a temple. You got to treat, you got to, you got to eat healthy foods. You got to feed it good things. You got to get a good rest. You got to exercise. You got to, whatever you're putting into it, that's what's going to, that's, that's how your body's going to respond. If you're putting in junk food, guess what's happening? You're, you're not, you're, you're poisoning your body. You want to start eating healthier and getting into healthier habits. Stop smoking. Uh, anything else, you know, uh, reduce your alcohol consumption or stop drinking alcohol, whatever it may be to help you live a healthier life. You got to remember your life is a gift and treat it as such. You may not get it now. You may not understand it, but you got to treat your life as a gift every day. And keep saying that to yourself. Keep having those kind of mantras in your, in your mind as you repeat yourself uh, every day. So these are some of the steps that you can help that you could take with you to help you with your depression. They can start to rewire and reshape the brain. They can start to help you to emerge stronger than the experience of depression uh, that has paralyzed you up until this point. Okay, real quickly, we are going to do a station identification. I uh, just wanted to let you know that we are broadcasting the council live here in uh, Denver, Colorado at KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. <clears throat> we are broadcasting all over the world, um, bringing you the best music, the best shows, programs. We're number three in the, in the country right now uh, on, uh, the, on, this, on the net. And so we are, it's just an honor to be here. Um, please tune into all of our programs here on this station and uh, just also want to do a quick shout out to each and every one of you for tuning into the council and trusting me to give you the best information and bring on the best guests that I possibly can to enhance and improve and augment and, and brighten your life. I want to switch now to um, something I think that can help all of us, which is uh, the study of epigenetics and um, the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton. It's called The Biology of Belief. And this book uh, was one of the books that really changed uh, my understanding and perception of life in a lot of ways, you know, because he was talking about things that, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't really pay attention. It was like the cellular structure. Who wants to pay attention to the little cells that are going on in our lives, that are, even though we're made up of them? And, uh, but he really got me thinking. And another uh, person who uh, I really uh, admired as a great teacher of mine was Candace Pert, Dr. Candace Pert. She, uh, I believe she passed away recently. Um, another show, we'll, uh, we'll try to bring in uh, Candace Pert's work. But Dr. Bruce Lipton wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. And what he was looking at is trying to answer is, is our DNA code the secret to our life? Are the genetic patterns encoded on them that are passed down to us from our ancestors, the character traits that frame and shape our lives. Right? This is the conventional paradigm which suggests that genetic determinism is the cause of who and what we are in the world. And this idea has, has held, been held by medical scientists and, uh, and others as the unassailable truth of human biological life. However, Dr. Bruce Lipton in his revolutionary book called The Biology of Belief, and I recommend all of you who are listening to this to pick it up uh, and for yourselves and read it. 
says medical science has got this all wrong. It's not our genes that shape our life. It's our beliefs. According to Lipton, beliefs shape our minds, <clears throat> our bodies, and therefore our lives. But how is this so? Dr. Bruce Lipton is a cellular biologist who studied the behavior of cells. Now, cells, as you know, are the foundational building blocks of life. Now, single-celled organisms populated our planet for almost 3 billion years. 3 billion years before they realized they had a better chance of survival if they formed into communities. And these communities of cells help to create the multitudinous, multicellular organisms we see today. In fact, humans have a bustling community of over 50 trillion individual cells. Lipton believed that if we understood the basic operating functions of the cell, we would better understand how life works. And he's correct. What he discovered was that cells are protein-generating and producing machines. And all of the movements in the cell are directed by the proteins lining the cell's membrane. The cell's membrane is actually, and this is really interesting, the cell's membrane is actually the brain of the cell, not the nucleus, as many doctors and scientists currently believe. When scientists extract the nucleus out of the cell, the supposed brain that makes the cell work, the, the cell still operates normally, processing information, taking in nutrients, expelling waste, etc. The only thing it couldn't do was reproduce. The nucleus, it turns out, is actually the gonad of the cell. <laughs> However, if scientists destroy the cell's membrane, the cell dies. Hence, Lipton's conclusion is the cell's intelligence is directly linked to this amazing membrane. Now, here is where the proteins come in. There are basically two types of proteins living in the membrane, receptor proteins and effector proteins. Now, the receptor proteins receive signals from the environment, the stimuli, and the effector proteins respond to, this, to these stimuli in life-enhancing and sustaining responses. And these proteins are called integral membrane proteins. And they serve as gates and channels for nutrients, hormones, waste, and electromagnetic stimuli that come in. Additionally, the receptor proteins can also detect vibrational energy around the cell such as light, sound, and various frequencies. These energy signals can determine what the cell does or does not do based on the environment. Now, the thrust of Dr. Lipton's groundbreaking work is the environment creates the conditions that determine how our genetic code responds to the signals it perceives. What he is saying is that genes do not control destiny. Genes actually control fate. I choose my destiny. That is when you become in alignment with your choices and you choose it. But genes do not control it. It is the environmental influences that control the activity of the genes. So much for genetic determinism.
Now, why would the brain of the cell be on the membrane? It's a good question. The reason is because the cells download information and the clues which help them to survive and thrive from the environment. Now, the cells are like computer chips. They are biological semiconductors which allow information to pass through the gates and channels, those IMP proteins I was talking, uh, described to you, and program the cell. The programmer is on the, quote, outside, which begs the question, who's, on, who's the programmer? Well, to get to the bottom of this, we must first understand some basic principles of quantum physics. And I love quantum physics. It, how the things come in and out of uh, reality. If you go down all the way to the subatomic structure, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Every material thing that you see, including you, including me, including this, uh, the, the paper that I am and, the, and, and this station, everything at the subatomic level, when quantum physics scientists go down there to examine, study, and observe the very substrata of existence, what they find is empty space. Empty space. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. The, the, you know, all this stuff that you're seeing right now, eh, the, 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 the ta this table, the, the speakers, everything, that I, this piece of paper that I'm holding in my hand on the subatomic level is void of substance. It's like 0.00001% matter. 99.999% uh, space. However... What is there? What they have found there is energy. Now, there was a study, and you can find this information in Lipton's book on page 80. There was a study in the journal Nature in the year 2000, which stated unequivocally that the laws of quantum physics and not the laws of Newton control a molecule's life's generating movements. Energy, the invisible fields and forces within and surrounding us, profoundly influences every aspect of our life, including our biology. In fact, all organisms, including us humans, read the environment by evaluating the energy around us. We do. Don't believe me? Have you ever walked past someone and thought to yourself, gosh, that guy's got some bad vibes, or, you know, that girl, she's, she's got some really good vibes. She's got some good energy. Guess what? You're reading people. You're evaluating, <clears throat> excuse me, with your senses, his or her energy field, and you didn't even know it. The ability to do this is instantaneous. Intuitively, we can read another human being Right away. It's just built into us. We do it without even thinking about it. One of the most powerful energy-producing machines is the thoughts we have in our brains. Now, this thought energy <clears throat> excuse me, has a direct influence on our physiology. Now, you may wonder why. How is this possible? The reason is the brain in multicellular organisms controls the functioning of the protein-producing cells. It controls their behavior. And thus, our thoughts can activate or inhibit a cell's functioning. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, 
if we understand this, we really need to check ourselves where we expend our brain's energy. And if we are thinking positive or negative thoughts about ourselves or others. Recognizing the profound impact our thoughts can have and how they affect our biological response to the environment around us can dramatically impact the health and quality of our lives. But it takes more than just it takes more than just positive thinking to change ourselves. I mean, you just can't positively think your way out of things and to see and change the world. Why? Because we have to understand the way that the mind works. Now, according to Lipton, there are two primary minds. There's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. The conscious mind is the house of our personal identity. It's dreams, it's hope, it's hopes, it's spirit, etc. All of that. That's, and it's essentially creative. That's our, that's our conscious mind. The subconscious mind is the repository of stimuli response tapes that it has collected over time, over a lifetime, derived from instincts and learned experiences. And the mind is habitual. This mind, the subconscious, is, is habitual. It's governed by habit. And it will play the same response to, to stimuli. The same behavioral responses to life signals over and over and over again. The subconscious mind is in control 95% of the time. 95% of the time, our subconscious mind is in control. And that's why, that's why you find yourself repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. And wondering why you can't you keep finding yourself in the same situations and having the same results. And this can be extraordinarily frustrating. You feel like a victim your whole life. Like, I've been trying and trying to do this. I'm, I'm working on these things, and I just keep getting the same results. And you feel like a victim. That you'll never break out of it. And I know, I certainly have been there. I, I've experienced this many, many, many times. Feelings like all the efforts that I have tried to make changes in my life and have come up against a wall. But the good news is, is that these, dis, excuse me, the good news is these disempowering programs of the unconscious mind can be rewritten. Our conscious minds have the capacity to override these programs because of its self-reflective awareness. We can see a pre-programmed tape in our minds unfolding. And if we are consciously aware that this is what's happening, we can override the mind's pre-programmed behaviors by making another choice, by not falling into that same pattern, by not making those self-sabotaging choices, by seeing, uh-oh, this is what's happening. I'm at a crossroads here. I can, I can either follow into that pattern again or I can make a different choice no matter how hard it is. And this is our free will in action. And it's making those different choices moment by moment. When they come up, that's how we can reprogram. And what rules our minds are our perceptions. However, these perceptions can be inaccurate. So what truly runs a show? Our beliefs. Lipton declares, quote, our beliefs control biology, end quote. And he's right. Beliefs do control us, whether we want to admit it or not. 
If you think a person is deceptive, you're right. They're going to be deceptive. All right? Most of the time, we act unconsciously. And letting the program runs its tape through our lives. Yet now we know it affects us all the way down to ourselves. And we have the power within us to change, to change it, if we are willing to do the work. We can change our beliefs by consciously evaluating the signals coming from the environment and see if this is in alignment with who we want to be, who we want to be. This is a really getting to the point, and we've talked about this on a number of shows before, about no longer betraying ourselves, no longer lying to ourselves, being that clear with us and getting very clear and then and acting on that and basing what's going on in the environment, making clear choices. If it's not in an alignment with us and who we want to be, or if we find ourselves caught in an old response to a situation, say a burst of anger because somebody cut you off, you can make a different choice and start the process of reprogramming your subconscious mind. We have to deal with the subconscious. It's way more powerful than the conscious mind. And no amount of fighting or arguing is going to stop it once it starts to the program. So you have to approach it gently. Maintain constant vigilance in order to recognize the signs of an old pattern, an old program playing. And once we are aware of it, the key is to be aware of it, consciously choosing differently. Don't believe, don't believe the mind is that powerful? Don't believe you can do it? Study on your own the placebo effect. Individuals have healed themselves of cancer, depression, and other disorders when they were given a sugar pill instead of a prescriptive medicine. The only explanation for this phenomenon is the individuals thought they were taking the medication. And because they believed in its healing potency, they got better. It was all in their minds. Beliefs are like filters on a camera, and they influence how we see the world. When we truly understand this, our freedom from the past is at hand. Now, we can choose a life of love or a life of fear. Our bodies, which are a composition of trillions of cells, will respond accordingly to the signals it is receiving from its environment, promote growth, or trigger a protection response. Now, this is a great barometer to use to check yourself and see if an unconscious belief is controlling you. If you are gravitating towards growth, to be, <clears throat> excuse me, to a life-sustaining signal, then your cells are engaged in life-enhancing processes. If the opposite, say you're moving away from a threat or a perceived threat and going into protection mode, barring an actual life-threatening event is happening, chances are you are responding in an old, habitual way and shutting down. That's why we want to eliminate as many stressors in our lives as possible. But accomplishing this enormous task only gets us to the neutral point. 
In order to thrive, we've actually, we've got to actively seek those experiences that are joyful, loving, and expansive. This is how we rewrite our lives. If we hold on to fear in any way, we are keeping ourselves locked down in protection mode, which changes how the cells respond to the environment and thus it keeps us from growth. That can help us to, to, to change what we need to change. The biological response to fear-inducing stimuli severely impacts us if it is chronic. A hypervigilant lifestyle wears down our bodies, our organs, our minds, and leads to most of the health problems and diseases affecting millions of people today. That's why it is so important, so important to understand Dr. Lipton's uh, biology of belief and others in the world of epigenetics his discoveries, understandings, and <clears throat> scientifically-backed research, uh, which I've distilled for you in this show. The emerging field of epigenetics, along with many other exciting discoveries, which it is unlocking, is now proving that our beliefs ultimately shape our lives. Remember what I asked... Um, a few minutes ago, the question about the cells and what, that the receiver was from the outside and there was a programmer. Who's the programmer? Well, this is was really interesting in the book. Um, and I believe that uh, for the most part prior to his discoveries, I think Dr. Lipton was uh, an atheist or an agnostic. And he, what he found out was that there's, and this is some really interesting stuff. Since every protein is in our bodies is a physical electromagnetic complement to something outside in the environment, the logical conclusion is we are, quote, made in the image of the environment. A signal outside of us is picked up by these bag of proteins, which, is, which in tune activates the biomechanical functions that move our lives. It's amazing, isn't it? A signal outside of us is picked up by our bag of proteins, which in turn activates the biomechanical functions that move our lives. But here's something even more fascinating. On the surface of every cell in your body, there is a family of identity receptors, which is your unique identity code and distinguishes you from every single person on this planet. If these identity receptors are summarily stripped away, the cell would still be alive, but it would be a generic human cell. It would have no identity. These identity receptor proteins located on the cell's membrane act like antennas and download complementary environmental signals. The signal that they pick up is read as a signal of self, you, which does not exist within the cell, but comes from some place in the environment. Essentially, your identity is an environmental broadcast that exists in the environment and is picked up and received by your antennas, which are the identity receptor proteins. What this means, what this all means is 
When your physical body is no longer present, your environmental broadcast will still be present. Here we're starting to see science and spirituality coming together. Now Lipton describes, <clears throat> excuse me, describes us more appropriately as earthlanders. Our physical bodies receive a signal from God, from the creator, from spirit. That matches the identity code on our identity receptors as we live out our lives in these physical bodies. Our experiences, what we think, what we say, what we do, everything is signaled back out to the environment and influences what happens next. If every hair on our head is counted, and it is, then the character and quality of how we live our lives takes on greater significance. The consequences affect our self, the self that is brought, being broadcast, and thus our choices, actions, and decisions in this life influence our lives much longer than when we actually leave our physical bodies. I think there's a great quote, and I hope I do this right. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, Gladiator, when uh, Russell Crowe's uh, character goes off, and he's about to lead the, the Romans uh, against the, the, the Germans, and he says, you know, to his, to his troops, he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. The ancients understood this, and now we're having the science to prove it. What we do in life echoes in eternity. That's it for today, folks. Um, I want to again want to thank KUHSDenver.com. KUHS Denver uh, has been the host of this show for over a year now. We, are, we have eclipsed our first year uh, on the air and, and uh, sharing uh, all around the world and touching lives. Uh, and I just want to thank everybody here who's made this show possible, who's uh, given me the opportunity and believed in me to make this um, uh, a program that is uh, reaching the hearts and minds of people all over the world. And I just want to thank Henry Archuleta and all the people here who've uh, made this show possible. Um, we are just broadcasting the best shows all across the state and the nation and around the world and just continue to tune in to KUHS Denver. Uh, for the best shows and, and some of the best people you encounter. Next week on the show, we are going to have a special guest, Dr. Roger Brook, uh, who is the head of the psychology department, uh, the military psychology department at Duquesne University. Uh, should be a fantastic show. Hope all of you will tune in next week. Uh, again, I just want to thank all of you. The show wouldn't be possible without each and every one of you listening and tuning in and giving me the opportunity to share what I know and to uh, hopefully enhance and, and uh, give hope to your lives. May you be well. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you be whole. The council is adjourned. Come back next week for another great show. I'm Charlie Pacello, your host. Thank you, and God bless.
Thank you, folks, for tuning in on the international camera from uh, all over the globe. Uh, it really is an honor uh, to speak with all of you um, these weeks that I do. And uh, tune in next week to for Dr. Roger Brook. It's going to be another fantastic show. Thank you, and God bless. See you next week. Thank you.